Hey, good morning all. Good to see you guys. Yeah, there's a little little bit of a doubt that I was going to be here today. My wife is hovering right around her due date. We had some contingencies plans in case something happened, but obviously we haven't. I think my wife is here. We probably should have came up with like a code word if my wife went into labor during service. Like, so if Nikki, if you're in there, shout the word D'Artagnan, okay, if something happens. <laughs> or, or maybe just, ah, like we'll know that something's going on at that point, okay? Hey, I just wanted to start off uh, today by just kind of speaking a little bit of encouragement to you guys. Uh, about a month and a half ago, I came up, we did a, a, a series called Par- Parables, and I kind of talked to you about uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And just kind of had brought forth that we need to get kind of past ourselves in the way that we treat each other, that we need to start viewing each other with eyes of a family, like brothers and sisters in here, that we should care and and encourage one another. Uh, I I got the opportunity to sit down with somebody who was new to this church. I sat down with them about three weeks ago, and, and they just compelled to me, they said, Steve, I want you to know that I felt really welcomed and cared for at your church. Like, I just really felt valued, my wife and I and our family, as we came into these things. And I just... I was just so proud of our church. Like, I'm just so proud of, to see uh, how we are growing together as a family, how God is kind of pushing us towards unity together. And, and you put that on top of the fact that last couple weeks ago, uh, we had like 600 of us came together and we ate a meal together. We all served within like 15 minutes. It was a crazy like fast food through there and shared in relationships, just strengthened old new relationships, made some new relationships and just was really encouraged. Just a new energy on that day in this church and just was really excited about that. And so I just want you to know that we have communicated that, that we have a value of loving our neighbors in this church and our neighbors are those who are around us and just really encouraged to see the way that you guys are responding and executing and just thankful to be a part of this church. So um, just want you guys to know that and be encouraged uh, by what people are saying about you guys uh, today. So we're going to start off today by kicking off a new series called Unleashed. It's a six-week series that's kind of focused and centered around like how we grow, how we, how we foster growth and maturity in life in, in our relationship with God. The tagline to the series is being conformed to the image of Christ, being conformed to the image of Christ. And so my hope is that God might use this series to help you kind of bring some uh, better understanding of how we grow, maybe that he would move you closer to himself in joy and obedience and love uh, through this series because of the series or uh, during this series that at the end of this that maybe you looked a little different than the way you looked when you came into these things. Uh, or maybe because of this series, it's a catalyst that a few months down the line that you look different. And so today I get the pleasure of kind of kicking us off. And so we're going to kick off into an area that I love to teach about. We're going to talk about how a better understanding of the gospel of Christ kind of jump starts and kind of accelerates our transformation and our growth in our lives. And look, there is nothing more that I like to teach about than the gospel of Christ. Like, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but about every single message that I've ever spoken from this stage have included this idea of the gospel and what it means for our life. And so wherever you're at in your relationship with God, whether you're a new believer or you've been seasoned and down the line a little bit, an understanding of the gospel is absolutely essential for our growth. And so let's just take some time today to just get really basic, just to really basic and and kind of try to understand what it is exactly that Christians are saying when they say the word gospel. What do they mean about the gospel of Christ and how does it impact our lives? Because look, we have so many different ideas maybe of what this means. Uh, So to start this off, let's tell you a story. 
1995, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, there was a man named MacArthur Wheeler. Wheeler is an interesting man. He robs two banks on the same day in broad daylight without even wearing a mask. Right? So he just walks in, robs the banks, two in one day, no mask on, no camouflaging of himself. The police arrive at the banks, they quickly look at the security film footage, and they notice it's the same perpetrator robbing both banks. And so they take clips from those security film footages, and they send them to the 11 o'clock news, who launch it during their news cycle, and shortly after, about an hour after the news cycle, somebody calls saying, hey, I know who that suspect is. And then shortly after that, the police arrive at the home of Mark Arthur Wheeler, and they say, hey, we're arresting you for armed robbery. And his response is, no, I didn't do it. I don't know what you're talking about. Which they responded to like, hey, dude, listen, we've got you on video camera robbing these two banks. And this was his response. But I had the juice on. That's what he said. He became emphatic as the police started taking away a handcuff and put him in the car. He was saying, but I had the juice on, guys. But I had the juice on. And so what was found out is that this man was deceived by his own ignorance in some way. Uh, Wheeler uh, was referring to lime juice when he talked about juice. Lime juice has for eons been used as some sort of an invisible ink, right? You write on a piece of paper with lemon juice, right? You let it dry and you take a heating element and it has a chemical reaction that you see what was once secretive. Well, Wheeler's logic kind of fooled him here, okay? Because he logically thought that lemon juice, therefore, would hide his face from video cameras, right? Just a tragic misunderstanding that Mark Arthur Wheeler, he was even, he even went to, so far to test it. Like, 1995, selfie really didn't exist. He took some sort of root rudimentary selfie of himself with one of those Polaroid cameras that you dropped and the film came out and you kind of did one of these things. So he takes this, puts the juice on his face, takes the picture, it's great, pulls the picture out, and no face, right? Totally thought he was in the clear here. The police officer would later tell about uh, MacArthur that he was just a really bad photographer. Just missed his face totally on the execution of taking a picture. Now, there was one problem in this whole scheme. MacArthur would, uh, he would report that the lemon juice stung so bad he could barely see his face uh, or see anything. And so he's just let down by like his own confidence in like his rightness, just overconfidence in his stunning genius in this situation, and just a silly situation, just a silly man acted in a silly way, not to say that, look, maybe he's got a life change, maybe he's down the road a little bit, but just silly, but like, this isn't unlike us if we kind of just let ourselves go down this road. Like, you don't have to read the paper too long and look in the police blogger long enough to recognize there's a lot of MacArthur Wheelers around us today, even in this county, and as silly as MacArthur Wheeler acted in this situation, he totally is not unlike us in some ways. We, too, have a tendency to believe in our own philosophies and our own ideas over other people or anything else uh, to a fault. And we can sometimes uh, have these, but I had the juice on kind of moment in our lives when kind of we get a total different understanding of what the reality of a situation might be. And so last week on the stage, as we were celebrating Easter, I said that there are many of us not many. There are people in this room who walk away as a Christian believing in a different gospel than the one that is being preached on this stage and for that matter, the one that God tells about in 
the scriptures. And because the gospel is, is such grand importance to all that we are as believers, we probably should lay down our own precepts and foreknowledge in this area and make sure that we're getting this thing right, that we would understand the gospel of Christ. So here's, here's the question. If somebody asked you to tell them the gospel, what would you say? Would you know? And look, it's okay if you're sitting there a little confused. Would you just say, like, well, Jesus Christ died for our sins? Like, that's the good news. And that's certainly true, and it's amazing at the same time. But really, why? Why did he have to do that? Like, that's not the full story. Maybe you would say, well, the gospel is, like, God loved us so much that he sent Jesus that we can be in relationship with him and have eternal life, which is true, amazing. Like, we love that fact, but it's not the full story. Very much true, but not the full story. So today... Let's use this wherever you're at in your journey, whatever season you're in, that we might take some time today to challenge ourselves in our understanding of the gospel and maybe remove some parts and and get a better, more truthful, hopefully, version of what the gospel is. And so in culture, this word gospel, we use kind of interchangeably with the word truth. Like maybe your mama has ever said to you like, hey, you do that, that's the gospel, all right? That's what I, I said it, it's the gospel. We use it as truth. Or maybe you've understood the Gospels to be like the first four books that are written in the New Testament, like the first-hand accounts of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four Gospels. Maybe that's when you hear the word Gospel, that's what you understand it to be. But that's not the Gospel that we're talking about today. The word Gospel in Greek simply means good message or good news. It's good news. When Christians talk about the gospel, what they are saying is this is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a message of hope. God is saying, good news, here's how I help you overcome the judgment that I have for you in your sin and disobedience. And for eons, eons, the gospel has revolved around four fundamental questions. And these are the four fundamental questions the gospel of Christ revolves around. The first one is, who made us, and to whom we are account- who are we accountable? The second question is, what is our problem? The third is, what is the solution to our problem? And the fourth one is, how can I be included in his solution? And so these are four kind of fundamental questions that need to be answered to understand the gospel in a way that hopefully brings life and transformation. So Let's just spend some time today answering these questions, right? So let's just jump into Genesis 1 right off the bat here. In Genesis 1, we see in verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so as followers of Christ, as lovers of God, we believe that we were made in God's image, both male and female. Now, just to break here, I think that sometimes when we think of God creating things, that we can get this idea that God is creating things out of some sort of deficiency in his life. That God, maybe he was lonely amongst the, 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 the vastness of creation and he needs somebody to kind of commune with. That maybe God was just 
he was bored and he wants something to keep him busy. But those don't accurately depict the God that we read about in Scripture in his vastness and his size. And so I think a better way to think about how God creates the world and all the universe and what's in it is to think of the triune God, the, the Trinity, and its contentment with each other. Like we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and out of their contentment and love for each other, they overflow onto the canvas of creation and begin to create. We see this kind of written about here in, in John 1, verse 1, when it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And so you have God the Father, who's the author, God the Son, who's kind of this active force, and then you have God the Holy Spirit, who's the presence, the earthly presence of God. And so God creates everything that we have in this earth, and there's this beautiful rhythm that we read about in Scripture where God creates this, God creates that, and it's good. God creates this, God creates that, and it's good. Everything is created, and God says after it, He says to everything He creates that it is good. It is good. And so something, as you and I know, happens to kind of upset or distort this creation. And the reality is, is that you and I now live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. Something happens, and that's the answer to the next question. What is our problem? The problem revolves around a broken creation. So we have a good creator who makes a great creation, and because he creates all things, those who are created are accountable to the creator. Now here's the problem. We are not very good at being obedient to the creator. We're not very good at being obedient to the creator, and that's the bad news. And for good news to exist, right, we have to know the bad news. Like when you go to the hospital and you get some sort of good report, like you're thankful, praising God for those things because that could have gone nasty, right? You could have got some bad news in that circumstances, and you can appreciate the good news because you know that it could have got nasty in that situation. And so for us to fully understand the good news, the gospel of Christ, we have to fully understand that there is bad news that we need rescuing. And the bad news is, is that you and I no longer live in a world as God designed it. It has been fractured. And it does not take a rocket scientist to look out at the greater world around us and notice the brokenness in the lives and in the earth, right? This whole thing went down. During creation, that God gives mankind one rule. He gives them one rule, and we see this in Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's one rule. Not even a complex thing. So you got a naked man, you got a naked woman, put in a garden in the very presence of God. You have no guilt, no shame, no sin, no death, no pain, just perfect existence. Like that's a good deal. Just a perfect world. And he says, don't do these things. Don't do this. Like that's not a raw deal. That's a great deal. And so we obviously know that something happens. The world and I, that you and I live in is not the world in which God designed it to be. 
God's command was violated. Eve kind of shares, deceived, eats the fruit, shares it with her husband who was kind of brought into the offense. And in that moment, outright rebellion against the God of the universe takes place. The cosmos is fractured, all the peace, all the rhythm at every level is broken. It's every level it's broken. Cosmos, everything is fractured. God, in Genesis 3, in the fall, it's written about, this is what it says in, in, in verse 8. It says, and this, friends, is the absolute, most heartbreaking verse in all of Scripture. This is about Adam and Eve. And it said that they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the tree and the garden. There is not a more heartbreaking verse in all that, what you've read there. Because before sin enters the world, death, nakedness, shame did not exist. Outright joy in the presence of God. And now look what happens. Creation runs from God. And they hide themselves from God in their shame. In knowing their nakedness, they run and hide. But it's not just humanity. It's the whole creation. Paul says in Romans 8, in verse 22, he says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Humanity and the world around us is broken and fractured because of our sin and our disobedience. Our sin and our disobedience, it put us in this position for death and decay to come into a world where it did not previously exist. And look, we're not pinning this on Eve and Adam. Like, this is not just like their deal. Like, how could they do that? They messed everything up for us. Here's the reality. You and I would have made the same choice somewhere down the line. We have all chosen our own way rather than God's way. That is sin, and all sin is a not recognizing of God's commands and His design. And so, because God is so perfect, pure, and glorious, he cannot be in the very presence of sin. He is so outright just and righteous and glorious. He can't even be in the presence of imperfection. And so in that moment, God begins the process of bringing his creation back to himself. And that's the answer to the third question. What is God's solution to the problem? The remedy is somebody that we get to talk about all the time. The remedy is Christ. Because all sin and all disobedience has a punishment, right? You can't mock the name of God and it not be expected to punish, be punished. And that punishment is eternal separation from God in a place that we call hell. God knows that he has to remedy the problem. And he's going to do it through Jesus who he would pour out all the wrath that he had against mankind and our sin and our disobedience onto Jesus, killing him. So what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that is good news. That is good news, that God inserts himself into humanity as the Son, that through his death, burial, and resurrection, he bridges the gap, the chasm between God and man. Christ takes our punishment. He deals with our sin and our death. He leaves all of our guilt and our shame behind with him in the tomb as he's risen from the dead. And he brings us back into a whole and right relationship with God, not by 
our efforts, but by His. Christ is now our righteousness. He has bestowed on us by grace and forgiveness a righteousness that is not our own. That when God looks down on us, He no longer sees our imperfect self, but He sees His Son. He sees our Son. And through that, we have eternal life in the flourishing of life that is on this earth. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians 2. He said, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches and grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one, no one may boast. We cannot claim anything in salvation. God has done it for us. And that, my friends, is the good news. And so when I speak to people, when I get a chance to speak to people about the gospel, here's what I get to say. We have an almighty, infinite, powerful creator God who created all things for the glory of his good name. And we, the creation, have mocked and belittled his good name. We have all chosen our own way rather than God's. And our God is so perfect and holy and just and righteous that he will not stand for his name to be mocked. And he is so good, so righteous, so holy, so perfect that he cannot withhold wrath of those who belittle his name. And so out of his great love for us, God sends the Son into the world, God in flesh, so he can crush him that he could pour out all the wrath that he has against the children of God onto Jesus, killing him. And then he raises him from the dead. He raises him from the dead and leaves behind our sin and our disobedience in the tomb. And then those who put by faith their trust in Christ have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, active and resting upon them. God no longer sees us but he sees the perfection of Christ that rests on us, and it grants us a flourishing of life and eternal life with the Father. That is the good news of Christ, and it is great news. We have to understand it, though, in some positions and context. Here's, here's what I know about the reality of the gospel and how it interplays with our hearts and our lives and our knowledge. Like, there's, there's just something I can't answer this question. There's something supernatural. And I know that we love to kind of explain the supernatural way and we want to have some reasonings in those things, but there's just something supernatural in the way that the Spirit um, kind of moves itself into an understanding of the gospel in a deep, profound way. All the people that I have been discipled by to, or to those people whom I seek advice in the kingdom of God have all talked to me about this moment in their life where somehow God made something alive in them that wasn't there. And they would say, I, at that moment, had a deeper, more profound understanding of the truth and the gospel, and it began to transform my life. I have sat with people in this church who have said to me, like, Steve, come to church for a while. I went away. I came back. Something's different now. I can't explain it. It resonates with me when you guys speak. God does something I hear with good ears and new ears what you're saying. And that's my story as well, that God brought life, that there was this 
this dramatic event where his gospel took root in my heart in a way that I can't speak or fathomly try to explain to you. It just happened. And so the reality that I just can't fully understand is that I could speak the gospel, the truth of Christ, a hundred different ways at a hundred different times, and there are people in this room who will not be affected by it. Maybe you leave with a greater appreciation, but yet there are people in this room today who maybe heard the gospel, the, the, the truth of God, on the 56th time in their life, that God, and somehow through our circumstances and through his spirit, made something alive. And I can't account for it, but just to say that it is the spirit of God working in our life, bringing profound depth and understanding to who the gospel, what the gospel is. And look, here's what I have come to know through all those stories. There is a reality in which the gospel of Christ is revealed in a deeper, more profound way. When God gives you the lens to see your own brokenness and your corruptness and your depravity in your life, that his gospel has a transforming power when we're inside and can see our own brokenness. And we surrender and lay our lives down to him. Jesus says this in John 12. In John 12, 24 through 26, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And so I think that there are definitely positions that God has to bring us to in our lives for the gospel, that understanding that we talked about of of who Christ is and what he has done for us and why he has done those for us. There's positions that God has to take us in. And one of those positions is brokenness. Just brokenness. Brokenness is getting to a place where you can no longer exist in the reality of your existence. It's getting to a place where you no longer can exist in the reality of your existence. Some people say it's like getting to the end of your rope, right? I think it's more grand than, than that, like to, to say, like, I can't pay my bills because I don't have any money because I don't have a job. Like, that's a tough situation, but that's not godly brokenness. Godly brokenness happens when God allows you to see the corruptness of your heart and the futility in your actions in the way that it messes up not just your life, but the entirety of the lives that are around you. And so for many years, I knew about God. I trusted in Him, and I, I, I loved what He had done for it. But there was a moment in my life that was profound and deep in which God brought something to life in me that wasn't there before. Uh, I remember that moment pretty well. Um, God began to, to move his gospel into my life in a way that I could no longer continue to walk in this sin, this battle that I had. And I've spoken about the battle that I've had with pornography. I could not walk in that any longer. Like God would not allow me to walk in the cycle of guilt and shame that was just destroying my life. And so out of my heart, he just lunges. I don't know what it is. I just had to get it out. And so I remember the day being in my house very much where I was, in my confession to my wife, and it's a moment that's marked me, and it will mark me for the rest of my life. In that moment, I found myself being fully known by the Father and fully delighted in. I was absolutely fully known and fully known, uh, uh, delighted in by both my wife and by my Heavenly Father. I had for years thought that I was so hideous, so dirty, that our God could never forgive that. That He was looking down at me as some sort of disappointed father. All of it was led by a profound 
transforming gospel message that God brought to life in me. All produced. I knew my own brokenness. I saw my corruptness. And God, in that fertile ground, began to work in my life in ways that I can't, I can't comprehend. Uh, and maybe, look, you've experienced a moment like that. Maybe not so dramatic. Maybe, maybe you haven't. Maybe, maybe it wasn't so dramatic for you. Maybe it just you knew that you needed him. But there are people in this room, and many of us in this room, who have refused to see that, or maybe haven't given, been given eyes or unable to see our own brokenness and our own limits. We haven't been given a, an ability to like, see the mess that we create in our life, and, and that we live under this pretense that if I just worked harder, like if I just could overcome these things, if, if this thing would, would go better for me, if I, somebody would say this, or if somebody would do this for me, then start, things start clicking in my life. Then things are going to start going better for me. And if that's you in this room, I think God has given me a message for you today. Like, will you just stop fighting him? Like, just stop fighting him. You are not the answer. You are not the answer. You will not be what fixes you. You don't have that kind of ability, power, or authority. This is not an effort thing. It is not an intellectual thing. It's not a financial thing. It's a heart deal. And our God is the only thing, the only person that can change our hearts. He has promised us who believe a new heart and a new spirit, that he makes us a new creation. And so if that's for you today, would you just let God allow you to see your brokenness, to see your corruptness, and you might respond in surrender. Because that's the second position that we have to get to for the gospel to transform our lives in meaningful ways is surrender. It says, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Surrendering is a ceasing of resistance or a submission to an authority. And so when we are allowed in a moment, to see our brokenness, we have to respond out of surrendering to the Father. That my, not my way, Father. Your way, God. Not my way. Surrendering is coming to a place where you recognize that you stink at being the God of your own life. It's getting to a position where you realize you stink at being the God of your own life, and you relinquish that control over to the true God of the universe, and you submit to Him and His authority in his design, in his way. And so for the gospel to really propel us towards growth and maturity, towards conforming our lives to Christ, it has to be rooted in this position of brokenness and surrender, that we would see our own limits, that we see our own corruptness, that we would seek the wholeness that Christ has came to offer us. And look, like this isn't a one-time affair. Don't just think that you hear the gospel and go, oh, I believe that. Now what's next? This is an everyday thing. The gospel is transforming. It is what invades the bad spaces in our life. You have to know it on a daily and remind yourselves on a daily basis. Your growth depends on it. It's two steps forward, one step back as we understand the vastness of what our God has done for us. The fact that he fully knows you and yet he fully delights in you. And all of this comes out of position of brokenness and surrender. It's a rinse, lather, repeat deal. You ever seen that on the back of a shampoo bottle? 
Rinse, lather, repeat. It's not something, the gospel is not something you read about in a book or hear on a Sunday and you catalog it away or put it on the shelf. But we have to remind ourselves of the transformative nature and the links that God has gone to rescue you inside of the bad news of this creation and the love that our Father has for us, that he has made us righteous because of his actions here on earth. Paul beautifully writes in Romans 1, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so my prayer this past week and this week next and weeks to come is that you might come to your limits, that God might reveal to you the bad news in our lives that you can fully understand the links, the good news of Christ and how it reaches us. He's given us all that we need. He's done everything for us. And it's out of our positions of understanding our limits and surrendering to him that the transforming nature of the power of the gospel begins to take root in our heart when we lay down our own way, our own thoughts, our own control, and we give it to the Father He begins to change our way through the Spirit of God. And look, I cannot explain it. It just happens. We have obedience in these things, but when the Spirit rests on you, the desire to change your life is something that He is adamant about, and it's a desire of your heart. We walk in obedience, but He changes it, and I don't get it. And so I'm praying for brokenness for all of us, that we can see the grandness and the vastness of our God's rescue plan in the gospel of Christ in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you today, and we thank you for a profound work. Lord, you have worked so hard to bring us back to you. And God, will you allow us to understand the links that you went to get us, that we would see ourselves in our brokenness, our corruptness in our hearts, the fact that even in our best efforts, we are the one who sabotages us in those best efforts. And so, God, I pray for clear eyes and clear vision, Lord, that we would know the gospel, we would know what it means, and we would rely on it every day of our lives. Every day of our lives, Lord. And Lord, help us to trust you and surrender our lives to you, to your commands, and to your designs. We love you, Lord, and we pray this all in your Son's name, Jesus. Amen.